Welcome back to the Twin Geeks. I'm here with first time guest Seth. Seth, how are you? It's so good to have you on the program. Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I feel like we should do like a edutainment sketch or something, or like a sure. mixed with like a color crime narrative. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you're like a part of like a, I guess a larger circle of people that like the Motern movies. So uh, I think you met some of our friends uh, from the site uh, yes. recently. Yes. Yeah. I, I got into the uh, Roxburgh Farley movies last year and absolutely fell in love. And they're like some of my favorite movies now. We've taken to podcasting every single one of them, which has been yeah, a yeah. very large venture <laughs> and non-ending too. Like it doesn't seem like there's like a, a total end to the show, but uh, right. as long as they make movies forever, I think we'll keep moving. Um, yeah. So how was that? How was the uh, extravaganza? It was great. It was really cool to meet other people because you know, in your life, you can talk to people about um, the Terminator and you can talk to people about Star Wars and they generally know what you're talking about. But when you very excitedly talk about Magic Spot or Don't Let the River Beast Get You or, you know, the the weight behind the decision of uh, uh, changing from black and white to color for a sequel... <laughs> no one knows what you're talking about so it was very interesting being in a place where everyone knew what you were talking about Uh, just like uh just talking to my wife she's like oh you're talking about those again and uh you know she's right she gets like a a rundown on every movie and i think she's over it i think that's why we had to make the podcast because you can't contain enthusiasm like people have for the motrin movies um right and uh yeah we're just very fond of, of those guys uh charlie and matt have been on the show this show i believe uh and that show so uh it's kind of nice to have like a larger circle of like intersecting friends and i uh, thought that might be you know reason enough to bring you on here and uh, especially when you gave like the list of things they were so unique like uh we started with like a TV. yeah sorry show. about that <laughs> No, it's a it's a great thing, and that's why I was interested and and wanted to kind of pursue it even further. Uh, but uh, you want to talk about the the first movie um, that you brought here? Uh, what is it? Uh, Crime Wave. Um, sure. Which is uh, not a confusing title because there was a Sam Raimi movie the same year called Crime yes. Wave. Yes, and, and this is a film that I recommend. Anytime someone says, what's a movie I should watch? Because this movie is usually streaming on a lot of free streaming sites, which Mm. is like, I'm so glad that it is. And I always have have to say, Crime Wave 1985, not the Raimi version. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, it's two words. Raimi's is one word. Nothing to do with each other. Uh, Yeah, Crime Wave. I can't remember where I heard of it, but... I saw someone recommend it as a movie that no one has ever heard of that they always recommend. And that always gets my ears pricked up and gets me interested. I like large budget Hollywood films. You know, I like movies of all kinds. I don't really have anything that I don't like, Mm. but what really interests me 
are strange, bizarre, low budget stuff, like a lot of the, you know, the Motrin stuff. Um, and so when I saw a crime wave, it just completely blew my mind. I think I'm interested in a good version of any genre or a good version of any budget. Um, yeah. I'm not like, I won't watch star Wars or I won't watch yeah. crime wave. Um, I would rather watch crime wave because I've seen all the star Wars and I've, I've spent my life seeing the big budget movies. Um, right. And this is unusual. Um, no matter what you've seen, I think it's unusual. It's, it's very peculiar. Um, and, you know, Peculiar meaning it's uh, dictionary definition <laughs> in a bad way. Yeah. And yeah. So I did a big movie project last year. I watched a thousand new to me um, feature length narrative films. So okay. no like documentaries, concert films, um, TV shows. I watched all that stuff, but it didn't like count towards my total, you know, final number. And one of those movies was Crime Wave. And I got to tell you, out of over a thousand movies that I watched last year, it was one of the best and one of the most interesting. And when you see so many movies over your lifetime, one of the best things a film can do is surprise you. And mm -hmm. I can say, I don't think anyone watching Crime Wave could ever predict what would happen in the next scene. No, I, I can't imagine. <laughs> It's almost like one of those videos that's on like TikTok or like Twitter where it's like, uh, you can't predict what happens next. And then it just like, right. was in, and they do the uh, the thing that you don't expect all of the time. Right. And uh, kind of blurs the lines between it's like throwing back from like 1940s, but it's also like a late 80s genre movie. And so it's yep. like a cross section between two different decades separated by 40 years of genre movies <laughs> in a really, yes. I think, appealing way, how it cuts between those and edits kind of a, a, a feeling together, a, a vibe, if you will, about yes. like a something shared in that DNA between like the eighties horror or thriller genre movies and like the noir and the uh, color crime pictures from the forties. Mm -hmm. um, they always say, well, it's this guy, Played by the director who's living at this family's house. And he uh, also is like a, a silent man from like a silent film era. Like yes. he, he's like drawn from this like cloth of like old, you know, Hollywood or something. And he's determined to write a script, but he could only do beginnings and endings. Right. And that's very funny. That's a peculiar trait. That's almost <laughs> like a Motrin thing. That would be like the whole plot right. of a Motrin movie. Right. Like, I can't write a middle. Right. Well, even even color crime films, like just that it's a strange phrase. phrase that gets repeated over and over and over. And like the first time, few times you hear it, it's almost like, what are you saying? What does that mean? Usually <laughs> when yeah. you throw back to that, like revisionist, you're like, oh, like noir, like black and white noir. But I think right. it's more peculiar to say color crime films and like focusing on that. Like, right. Like, early 50s, like that right. shift that happened, like. He wasn't interested in like the height of the noir movies. He was like <laughs> captured in his life by this period right after the noir movies went away. Like, right. Um, you know, anything like after like Third Man, and you know, it's just like a whole different style or a, or a technique that's yeah. not usually appealing to people. I could think of like a few movies kind of like it that are like on indie fringe of like the eighties, nineties. But there's you know, uh, Guy Madden. Uh, from Canada is one of my favorite yeah. film directors and 
we may cover something of his in the next uh, coming weeks. Um, nice. But uh, he went to school with him, and you could see a lot of shared DNA. And there's something about the Winnipeggers, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something in their DNA is really funny. Even Canadian, like indie film in general, uh, especially the Eastern Canada block is really uh, uh, provocative and, and new and seems like its own cinema in some way. Yeah, one of my favorite bands is from Winnipeg called The Weaker Thens. I don't know if you ever listened to them. No, and what are they? What kind of music? Uh, it was like indie music, late 90s. The lead singer, John K. Sampson, was the bass player for this punk band, Propagandi. Mm-hmm. And then they went on to, he went on to form this different band. But the the band is marked by his very uh deep poetic philosophical but quirky writing style like the songs are really 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 dense Mm. um and so in watching this and also guy madden i was like what is up with winnipeg like (laughs) they all just fantastic writers who feel a need to like throw in this like almost um structure sabotaging joke to just make it interesting and mess with people i'm just like from the Pacific Northwest Seattle area here. And I see like maybe due to weather patterns, there's like an interesting way people write. Like <laughs> I think about grunge music and Seattle sound of the nineties and sure. how uh, art developed here, both writers and uh, you get people from the Northwest, like Chuck Palahniuk or something. And you get like this edgy grungy kind of vibe and uh, right. it produces a certain kind of art. So I think about what it would mean to be snowed in most of the year and, and right, what that right. would produce mentally. And uh I, I could see what it does in the Canadian films. Uh, and they seem to have a very willing market for indie films. Like it's very supportive in Toronto. Um, even from our wider circle of friends, like Justin DeClue probably like programmed this in like one of his mind milters. And, right, right, um, right. Maybe that's where you found it or maybe that's where it was like circulating. And then you found it. I don't it. know. DeClue, DeClue rate, rate this five stars on Letterboxd. <laughs> That's pretty typical. So he's, I mean, he's like a that's, fan. Yeah, if it's, yeah. it's like a wild Canadian film from like the indie industry, and it's like a five from him, then I have to, you know, see what that's about. So, uh, where where are you based? I I don't actually know where where you're from here. Oh sure. So I live in um upstate New York. I'm okay. originally from Long Island, and my wife and I moved up here a few years back. So not. Not too far from the Winnipegers, at least. But, no, uh, no, a few hours from Canada. Which is funny not, because not like, a very the, big. The style and characteristics of like the East Coast are very like pocketed, right? Like New York's different from New Jersey and completely yes. distinguishable from Boston. Yes. So then you go up to like you know Montreal or Winnipeg, and there's there's a total difference in right culture between them. Uh, and all these pockets create different kinds of films. So, like, we're talking about, like, the Motrin of, like, the, um, uh, you know, the East Coast, Boston, Massachusetts area. And then uh, you could think of um, something like the Canadian filmmakers kind of making localized content that kind of appeals to each other. You could see, like, this is, like, one of Guy Madden's favorite films, and it makes a lot of sense. Like, um, right. because even comparable to, like, Guy Madden, I can't think of others either. Like, it's kind of, like... I have to go all the way back to like the first surrealist filmmakers and <laughs> and they seem to be working out of this surreal camp that was like, uh, you know, very early on, uh, not even like the Lynchian kind. It's almost like 
predating that what they're working out of. Yeah, and it's wild to think that this is 1985. Yeah, it feels newer, actually, to me. You know, it feels Yeah. like you could make this like yesterday for And sure. you'd make it the same way. I don't think you'd make Yeah. any compromise. There was one one line towards the end where when he's writing the story of him being a success, you know, this massive filmmaking success. And uh, at one point he's wearing Spielberg garb. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> and Kim, who's narrating, says that they made sequels and remakes and uh, limited releases of all of his films. And I was like, man, you know, to have that said way back in 1985, one, is, is very smart and, you know, predictive of the future. And two, is a good reminder for those of us who... think we live in a unique time be like no this stuff has been happening forever Right. That same criticism was being applied at the late 80s, you know, 40 years right ago, 30 years ago. And it's uh, hasn't changed. You'd still make the same criticism. You might use, I don't know if you'd use Spielberg, maybe Villeneuve or uh, yeah I don't know who would be. Who's the modern Spielberg? Uh, it's hard <laughs> uh, to even say as the far greatest as like one, but big spectacle still Spielberg. probably nolan <laughs> yeah maybe it nolan might still be Spielberg and then Nolan. yeah Yeah. I could see Nolan fitting that uh, cloth, although he makes uh, usually unique movies like his don't lead to sequels. They're, they're kind of like contained. They're just not like right Inception right 2 or Dunkirk right 2. <laughs> Oppenheimer 2 would be a good movie. Um, <laughs> right yeah. Uh, so I could see that, though, as like the populist filmmaker who has like command of the where the big screens are. He'll be playing and. um. I wonder if they, if it were done today, I wonder if they do that John Williams overture with the, <laughs> right you know, they kind of play that over the Steven Spielberg. That's kind of funny. Um, it's a very strange movie. It's almost hard to totally describe without someone It seeing is. it. It is a very strange movie. The movie almost works in small vignettes. The story is moving forward with each scene, but like I'm, I'm, you know, towards the beginning of the movie, the film literally makes you do an optical illusion where you stare at the screen and then they change the page and they say, Yeah. do you still see the image? That is, I've seen a lot of stuff that's weird and like, okay, wow, that movie was really weird. But is it smart and is it funny? This movie is really weird. It cannot be expressed how strange this movie is. When you see him enter the costume party and she says, he went as a
you could see watching this and making something like that or watching this and making something like Guy Madden's movies or yeah um yeah you're right you need to know the parameters because uh, I think most people don't watch enough indie film that they see how far indie film can go like they right might watch the mainstream indie film just like right under the A24 label like whatever is next right. like the fourth most popular neon movie of the year or whatever right. but, uh, it, it goes so much <laughs> deeper like this is like you look at like those iceberg like depth charts of like what's like the most fucked up thing you could think of and this would be like down like prime wave it's at the bottom of like yeah okay, now you're in deep you're immersed in something <laughs> <laughs> you're at the bottom of the ocean with those uh guys in the titanic sub now you know yes yeah. it's, it's deep yeah it's uh, i'm so glad you brought it to me because it's not something i would have watched either i i was more likely probably to run into the sam raimi one doing like completion for him so uh, that i yeah. got to watch this first i think is a, a good thing for me <laughs> and it's a shame that you know this guy didn't do more stuff yeah. because you see so just so much intelligence behind a lot of what's going on later in the movie there's a town that has been quarantined and the narration tells us that if there were any dogs or cats left in there that it would be bad for the dogs and the cats and scientists <laughs> yes. wearing hazmat suits are like going around like shooting the dogs and the cats yeah and then there's a confrontation a dog gets out of a car and instead of going back to its owners it like runs past the barricades into the town Mm. I know that I just described a bunch of nonsense, but in the movie, yes. it's like, wow, that's really funny. I know what's going to happen to that dog. But then you don't know. And the dog comes back in a totally unpredictable, crazy way later in the film. And it's, it wasn't it's what just... I expected either. I had like the total. No. Yeah, I, I had all these expectations. <laughs> and that's what part of the genius is, because it's working on all these modes that we think we know. Like we're saying we yes. think we know late noir and what that could be. And we don't know what. Uh, what's his name? John Pizet? Pizet? John Pies. Uh, I'm not Pies. sure how to pronounce it. Yeah, Pies yeah. sounds almost correct. So we don't know what he is going to do with that blended with like these 80s things. Uh, maybe the only thing that gives it really a time stamp is like the edutainment kind of side of like those right. 80s, like almost like training video <laughs> for like a, yeah. a corporate structure, or, like an anti-drug video from the 40s to 80s would be, you know, almost the vibe that those are right. working under. There's like that oddness, like just hanging off the words. And uh, it's also one of those where like the words are, are clever and like not talking is clever in a way that, you know, usually it's like a construct, but here it's used cleverly. So, right. Um, and there, there's literally a shot where he's sitting there, not saying anything, not doing anything. And then the young girl who's narrating says, that was one of Steven's attacks of self-doubt. <laughs> and then the movie just keeps going. <laughs> I love those like non-sequiturs though. That that's what yeah. makes it really special. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> yeah. What, what one of my favorite movies, definitely one of my favorite comedies. And in in rewatching it a couple of times leading up to this, I was just like just really dumbfounded at how smart you know i know i'm saying the same adjectives over and over but like just how smart and weird it is and how nice it is to be in the hands of someone who is very capable the movie yeah. doesn't look great because it's got a very small budget 
But you can see this same thing with a much larger budget being a massive hit, you know, with more marketing, if more people knew about this because his talent, it, it's, it's masterful. Like, I think this is, you know, I'm not a big fan of hyperbole. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not, I don't like to run out and say, this is the greatest movie ever, but this is a masterpiece of a movie <laughs> that, and the only reason that it's not considered that is because people don't know what it is. It's for sure. This is like the 157th episode of the show. And I think it's the strangest film we've talked about on the show. Oh my gosh. Uh, I think it's a wonderful That thing. makes me so, so. happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think after that many episodes, 160 in, and I think we've got to our strangest movie where I think a, it's one of the happiest I've been that someone's brought it to me, honestly, because I, I give it like an eight, but it's a really high eight where I'm like leaning toward it's a I'm leaning toward it's almost like a signifying like unique work unto itself like there's no yeah. like despite the genre labels I put on it like entertainment noir and you know 80s genre thriller I think it kind of goes past any of those and it's uh living kind of in its own shell it's like yeah so unique I, I mean you know the the recurring thing of he can only write by the streetlights <laughs> Yes. And, and you think <laughs> you're watching details. that and you think, okay, that's funny. <laughs> that's quirky. Okay. Okay. And, and then the way that that comes back around at the end, it's like, I, I could, I would never in a thousand years write that. <laughs> and yet when it happens, you're like, okay, that makes perfect sense. There's even a bit that's pretty you know scary or at least like overwhelming where they're like talking to the camera and it's just um that like non-stop like dialogue near the end there that's kind of worrying and feels like a thriller and it feels yeah. like the screen's gone like black and we just have this figure that's almost like the the lynch or madden part would be like oh. that sequence well the whole the whole character of dr jolly yeah the scene in the hotel where he has someone tied up and he's on the phone with his family. And then he's singing, what is he singing? Ride him cowboy, or I can't yeah. remember. I think I wrote it down. Something oh, like I'm that. back in the saddle again. Yes. <laughs> As he's about to kill somebody. And he's yes. singing this song, I'm back in the saddle again. And then it cuts to them driving and the song is playing over the radio. That's, it's, it's so scary. It, it's a total like tonal, change but it fits in with like the oddness of the rest of the movie and you're like oh my god like i'm actually like this is disturbing and strange like a lynch movie silence of the lambs like you put that into any other movie <laughs> and you'd be like that's a great scene with a killer uh it, you could almost think like yeah. reservoir dogs with blue velvet or something sure, like something just yes, like the, the yes. violence is so random and sudden and surrounded yes. by things that are peculiar pop culture artifacts and it's kind of cool yeah 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 uh yeah thank you for bringing this on like i say 160 movies and i think it's the most unique and, and interesting weird film that we've uh, discussed oh, so man. far i i looked through when you had originally asked me if i'd be interested in coming on i went through every episode and i was like okay I, i'm not going to suggest any of these right and so i tried yeah. to and i would think like oh you know it'd be a really cool one and then as i'm going through i'm like dang it they've already done that one and mm -hmm. so one of the reasons why perhaps my list that I sent you was so strange is because you've already done, you know, you've, done you've already done few. so many. 
like we've yeah. covered like complete directors and canons and yeah um i mean we've covered a lot of ground in those episodes and for this to be the strangest thing is uh, quite an accomplishment so uh go watch this i think it's probably on tubi and like all the free services and maybe it's available on whatever free service you use uh uh well that was a nice small picture should we talk about one that's day large sure like still large sure that's the worst pun i have um oh that was good i thought that was good okay uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh the clockwork orange one that i've like lived with like most of my life now that i discovered at the right time at like 14 years old uh when wow. i was like in like you know skateboarding culture getting into punk, mu punk music going to shows and um you know becoming more like actively interested in girls like having them over and talking about you know uh, sex and thinking about things that were different for a teenager um sure and i think a clockwork orange encompassed all my interests besides being about you know a lot of like philosophical things or sociological things and um got me into well i was like a big reader already so i was reading like voraciously everything i could and then i found anthony burgess through this movie and he he had written like 50 books because like he had cancer or something and uh, he was just like smoking opium cigarettes, like writing like book after book. Oh like, my gosh! Like, wow! Like a madman, and this is like part of like a Clockwork Testament like series that he had like within the books, like just that kind of like prolific, like almost Farley esque. <laughs> you just keep right. making things endlessly making in things. this <laughs> big stretch, and yeah, he made them all before he died, and then you know his family was supported forever from those. So I thought that was really beautiful too. Yeah, I saw your review for it. I think you posted last night. Yeah. And you had said that this is the movie that you've seen the most. I think so. I think there's... Wow. <clears throat> it's one of those, like, the first time I saw it, I must have watched it twice that day. And then I had friends yeah. over and then watched it again and again that week. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, the first couple weeks I saw this four or five times. Like, that's... I mean, that puts it pretty high on the counter already. Wow. And then you just continue that and you show all the other uh, teenage boys and girls that you know that <laughs> that need to be um, reformed. And, you know, right. That need to see, like, yeah, you need to, like, radicalize them and show them this, like, I wouldn't say Kubrick's, like, intermediate, like, as a director, but he's one of the first I think you need to contact. Like, I think you need to get yeah. there when you're a teenager. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I I, <laughs> I can't remember what director I use now, but I always say when you're a kid, you think Tarantino is the best director. <laughs> and then in your like later teens, early 20s, you think Kubrick is the best director. Oh, I know who I use. And then you grow up and you realize that uh, Agnes Varda is the best director. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true. You finally get to the truth eventually. Right. You get to oh, this man, calm wow. centered truth where it's like actually right. art is the best art. And, right, uh, right, right. Yeah, that's great because you start with like the uh, style over function, then you find like the most stylist, functional director, and then you find a director that's entirely just an artist making for art's sake. And you're like, that's right, what, right. That's what film can be at its most. We define the parameters right. again. <laughs> right. You can literally just oh, like I I, lo I love anything French New Wave because so I grew up very heavily involved in punk music, hmm. um, DIY punk music, and it was all about rejecting any type of like record label support, doing everything yourself. 
for the people in your immediate community. It wasn't about like being famous. It was just like, we're doing this just to do it. So when I first discovered like French new wave stuff and they're filming without permits and they're inventing camera techniques because they just don't have stuff, you know, yeah. uh, it was really, it was, it was both eye opening and like comforting to me. Cause I was like, Oh, this is perfect. Cause, and you know, I know that I made that joke, but I don't, I don't slight Tarantino. I don't slight Kubrick. Kubrick's you can still watch the them as an for adult. A reason. Yeah. Right. But like, doesn't when go you away. watch, when I watch Kubrick, I don't think like, Oh, I can do that. Mm-hmm. I think, <laughs> wow. How did he do that? <laughs> yeah. I think I can't do that when I watch Kubrick. I think, uh, right. I look at it and say, you know, maybe Kubrick could do it being the best visualist taking 200 shots to do it for each shot. I could not do that in a hundred shots or a thousand shots, you know, right. it wouldn't matter. I could not do what Kubrick's done. Um, and I even make like a point in my review where it's like, this is like, uh, you know, maybe the third most like stylized, like Kubrick movie in the Canon for me. And it is also still in maybe the top hundred stylized movies in American cinema. And um, there's still, you know, second or third Kubrick, I think is still the most significant thing that you can show someone. Sure. I mean, the opening, the whole opening, starting with that blazing red, just red screen. Yeah. And you have the keyboards going and it's like, it's very overwhelming. It's very intense. He's coming off of 2001 A Space Odyssey, Mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite openings. And I just sit there and watch a black screen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like like yes i want whatever is happening like this is this is fantastic this is amazing you, have you and read like, like the debates about that like whether it's a black screen or not um oh no well so maybe some of the like fan communities like uh maybe we're not watching a black screen maybe we're watching the rectangle like the the rectangle oh. that comes down from space <laughs> that's like one of those Got theories it. like everything in kubrick also has meaning assigned to it so that's just an aside but right i always wonder you know I don't, I don't, I don't doubt Kubrick's genius, right? Yeah. yeah. Whenever we get into the discussion of a director's intent, unless they have said, yeah. <laughs> I always take all of that with a big grain of salt because, I mean, about that movie, we all know the story of, you know, the, the shot with the bone he came up with because he was like throwing a broom in the air, right? And mm-hmm. so, six months prior to filming, he didn't meticulously think out every shot. Sometimes things just happen. You're like, yeah, let's do it like that. Right. Um, so, <laughs> you know, maybe he was like, yeah, let's have a black screen and it'll be the dawn of, and then years later, everyone attributes it to something else. I yeah. think all that's fine, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't like putting like a 100% this is true on anyone's intention because I'm not that you know, and it's not so much my goal to figure them out, figure out what they wanted so much as to figure out what they're trying to tell me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to see all of the inner workings. I don't want to see all of the pen to paper. What are you trying to tell me? It's like, almost, I, So I work yeah. in food, right? And right. if you went to every, every restaurant that you went to and you, you pay $27 for a dinner, if you went into the back and you watched them make the food and you saw how they did it and you saw how it was plated 
and then you stood there and ate it. You might think to yourself, why am I paying $27 for this? But when you pay the Mm. money and it comes out and it's presented in front of you and you don't know how it got there, it's more special, you know, it's presented to you and you don't see all of the behind the scenes stuff. I like behind the scenes stuff, but so I'm more interested in what is on the screen than figuring out why he put what is on the screen. I don't know if that made any sense. You could kind of do like a room 237 to every Kubrick movie, which is like the documentary exploring the shining and the significance of numbers. (laughs) It's like triangulating, like, uh, you know, triangulate the numbers between like the moon landing and uh, does this mean anything? And, you know, maybe, but uh, maybe not also. (laughs) Right. And that's what you have to do. I think you have to, you can't hold everything so tight. You can't hold your theories so tightly and people kind of you know you, you when you're the first person to discover something right you get yeah. very excited <laughs> you maybe convince yourself that it's more than what it is but but yeah is that it... first like where we we're pulling away from alex's face and then we're going through the milk bar <laughs> which so you've read the book so you yeah. would be able to kind of explain things better but it's so scary it's so like intense visually it's it's beautiful and it's just it's really it's really really impressive i haven't seen a clockwork orange in probably 13 years oh wow okay prior to prior to this Mm. And watching it again, I was, even though I knew everything that was going to happen, I was still struck with like the intensity of everything. It is so intense and it's living at like a different register. I think what caught my attention, just like as a writer already as a kid and also someone coming from maybe same stuff as you, punk, or like, I guess our version of grunge and metal here. Um, Sure. the, The people were signed to labels here. I think like the Seattle market always like, rush toward everyone in the neighborhood and put them on labels so right i know it's the same in new york during different phases but um i think that's like what appealed to me right away is like the difference in language it's just uh mixing like yeah. uh false like russian english terms and somehow they make sense and somehow you can do them. Yeah. <laughs> i mean you know maybe they don't make sense like you can't just say them on your own and and have them right. like mean something but like in like the poetry and kind of like the flowing language of what Anthony Burgess wrote and how Kubrick films it and says it, I think it would uh, always make sense to, you know, it would always be like, that's a, an appealing way to like string that sentence together. Even like, sure. even like, oh, we sat in the Corova milk bar and we're trying to make up like a racidox about what to do for the evening. It's like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> you know? Right, right. It's similar and like major props to, you know, the author and kubrick for being able to do this it's similar to watching something by shakespeare Mm. where if you try to pick out every word that he's using you'll be it it will make you stumble because you're like wait wait what but if you just listen to the conversation and you see what their actions are you can follow along you know Mm. it's it is like poetry like as they're speaking you can go back and pick apart like at a certain point, I was watching it with subtitles. I was like, I think I just have to not like, it's, uh, pay poetry. attention to these words. You could call it poetry plus plus, like milk yeah. plus plus or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, Burgess also a poet, and then Kubrick just shoots it in a way like I love a director who takes something that someone would say would be unfilmable or there would right. be no point in filming it. This would be a book that you'd say nobody should film that book. Um, uh, yeah, my favorite movie is Under the Skin, and that's just like the most unfilmable oh, yeah. book. Um, and Glazer oh. is so much in Kubrick's school of thought, like. That's almost yeah. a sequel to 2001 in ways I don't need to get into in this show. Yeah. So I could go have for 30 minutes. Have you guys covered, have you done? Under the Skin? No, the it, skin might be too, it might be too close to me. I don't know. Really? I feel like that's one that I'm just like hanging over and I'm like, I should do it one day, but I don't know. Like, I mean, I've written about it. I've done like a, a big list. I've written about it five or six times on the site. Uh I don't know. I'm almost afraid to do it. It almost feels like that's like the last episode or something. Or, wow. Uh, wow. Okay. I'm putting too much. I, I think it's it. great. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's very, everything that you think isn't something, the more you watch it, the more you realize that there's intention behind like every little detail and it all comes back around later. Uh, I think it's great. It's terrifying. Really, really yeah, I terrifying. Think so. It yeah. struck me more than any movie, like going from the theater after Under the Skin and being like, well, literally under my skin. Like I just kept watching it over and over. That would be the maybe second like uh, option for my most seen movie might be Under the Skin. Right. This and that are probably in the same league. If I showed everyone I knew that was, you know, even people that weren't interested, I think I've shown both movies. <laughs> I'm sure that this is these are two movies that I just try to make sure everyone has seen, and I think it's important. Right. Um, yeah, for me, that's uh, Crime Wave and Clifford. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two important ones for sure. You you mean like the new Clifford, like the big? No, no, everyone always dog? thinks that. Okay, no. no. So that there's there's a movie from 1994. It was filmed in 1991, and it stars Martin Short as uh an eight-year-old boy <laughs> okay charles charles groden is also in it mary steenburgen um it's very strange it's like very your, very bizarre your two recommendations are like two movies people will think are two different movies <laughs> like, yeah. like crime wave and then like clifford the big red dog like i never go go watch that. those <laughs> yeah i never maybe i just like that maybe i just maybe like say like, hey yeah. have you seen this and they say yeah i have and, you, and i like to say no you haven't even like the fashion in uh, A Clockwork Orange feels like it's like offhanding you. Like it's so strange. Like it's such a mix, like a fusion of cultures and yeah. the way Kubrick kind of, uh, well, the costume design's extraordinary and the way people <laughs> kind of act and move in this world is really unique and not how people act and move. It's almost theater. Yeah. So, I, this is something I don't know. What time period is this supposed to be? Like, is this mm. supposed to be futuristic? I feel like it was supposed to be like contemporary. Um, okay. Uh, I have to almost look that one up. But uh, because it's like weird, like a lot of the older ladies have like like purple hair, <laughs> and I'm I'm old enough to remember when older ladies would get like um, blue or like. Um, almost like violet colored hair sometimes right. you know they weren't intending for it to be like punk <laughs> but in this movie it it does feel like a strange blending of cultures that feels 
otherworldly or like a futuristic time you I know i think it's almost like i don't want to just look things up the whole show but it's kind of like a okay i want to say it's like a dystopian like alternate reality of what like england yeah. could be but i don't i don't think there is a set like time like yeah i feel All like right, it could have been future or it could have been alternate or it could be commenting on what england is now in a really hyper realized like way um, yeah looking at like how we how violence is kind of seen by a public and like a shifting reality that in the 60s when it was written and then in the 70s when this is filmed i think having like that gap between book and movie also allows kubrick to add extra value and do some strange things and make a very 70 movie and how outside it is this is also so outside the parameters of what people were making in 1971 yes and sets a great tone for the films of the 70s that are so dark and bleak and angry and and shockingly violent at times and yeah there's like this whole like philosophical study going on about if people are it's almost like a Nietzsche thing are you like inherently good or evil and uh, is anyone actually those things or through like rehabilitation which is like the most interesting thing to me can someone become can anyone become good but also can anyone be (laughs) uh, compromised by you know their droogs by their set of friends and their values and shared systems of like uh once they break out of like their family unit and they're like caught in all this culture does that devalue them and make them into someone else uh there's so many questions the clockwork orange asks but i think the answer is ultimately you know different between the book and the movie just by shades Mm. um whether people could be rehabilitated or not. Uh, what do you think the answer is in the movie? I I have a hard time. I, I, I don't want to say I blame this on Malcolm McDowell, but being with Alex in the first part of the movie, right? Mm-hmm. We see how sly he is we hear his inner thoughts, you know, that great sequence when they're walking next to the water and he just attacks them. (laughs) I have a hard time when, once he's in prison, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we know he wants to get out. He's studying the Bible, but he's only studying the parts that are violent or, you know, sexual. (laughs) And he likes to imagine himself in it. And so because we've spent so much time with him, in that mode once he goes through the treatment i have a hard time with did it actually work yeah um, i think it's unclear i find it really unclear i feel like in the book there's it's okay it's been at least 15 years since i've read it i've also read this book several times uh sure but there i think there's an additional chapter where it makes it very clear that there is like a possibility for rehabilitation but i don't think that's inherently true of the movie i don't think that has to be true of the movie i think the movie might be saying something else and yeah and i mean the biggest evidence that we see that something happened is when he's locked in the room and decides to kill himself because the song is affecting him so much right like the Um, violence has made him sick he's programmed right but even that if he's programmed against violence, would he be able to commit violence against himself? Does violence against yourself count yeah. as violence that you are perpetrating? You know what I mean? Like, 
it's all very wishy-washy, not clear. And I don't think it's not clear in a bad way. It's just for me, who is watching it under a microscope, I'm looking for tells, I'm looking for slips, you know, I'm trying to see the cracks in his argument that I have been rehabilitated. And yeah, so I don't don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I do know the scene where they're propping his eyes open. Every time I see it, it's I'm I don't know how how you do that without scratching your eyeballs. <laughs> I <laughs> I I pray that they only had him on there for like 20 minutes <laughs> trying to get all the different shots because that would that would be terrifying, you know, to actually go through and I can't imagine oh, oh horrible, horrible, horrible. But iconic it's it's super iconic you know yeah i think any kind of movie like function that gets into like the eye territory yeah. or like the <laughs> unchian andalu like slicing up eyeballs kind of yes concept yes uh that anything like that like once you're slicing up the eyeballs i'm kind of you know that's like my one aversion i think i could watch some right. pretty fucked up stuff uh right but, but once you get to the eyes that you know that makes my skin crawl and even like just keeping them open seems like the worst form yeah. of torture. As a contact yeah. wearer, also uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it's insane that I wear contacts because uh, my wife gives me a bad time. If someone touches someone's eye in a movie, I have to look away. I- I'm like so- a kid looking away from a horror movie. Uh, so that's yeah. always very affecting to me too. Like anything with eyes. But yeah, I think that's like the fifth reference I could have made to Unchan Andalou between the first movie and this one. So maybe they are good partner movies in some ways. I could see. Well, that's kind of as I was watching both of them, I was like, you know what? This actually kind of works. These kind of work well together. Like maybe you should watch A Clockwork Orange and then Crime Wave will help you kind of forget your depression from A Clockwork Orange, maybe. Clockwork Orange is heavy in the back half. I forget how much and how heavy and how dense yeah. that text gets. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm very uh, moved by it still. I felt like I had come down on it a little bit a couple of years ago. Like I was like, maybe I was just a teenager and maybe I could leave this in my teenage years. And maybe as an adult male, I think like you're saying earlier, I should like, I should like different things that I did as a 15 year old. But then I watched <laughs> it again just yesterday. And I was like, well, you know, maybe, I'm still a teenager inside. So like maybe, maybe I have the same, same core values. Yeah. I still like the same French films. Like I still like the same new wave. That was the first thing I got into as well. Like uh, Eric Romare is my favorite director. Like I'm a, oh, nice. on like the left bank filmmakers and the yeah. uh, Claire's knee, you know, my night at mods, that kind of thing. Uh, Godard, that kind of stuff always appeals to me. So it's a, uh, yeah, it, it really just like, hinges on whether you could like allow yourself to get back into what you used to like or if you if you feel some regret or embarrassment at some point about being a teenager and then you like view those things you know i feel it again uh but no i mean i think it's great and you know i'm sure a lot of people who are seeing it for the first time were over the age of 14 and also you know do you think they're affected like now? Like I wonder like a kid now, like with what's out there in the culture and having the internet now in a way I didn't have the internet and I wasn't affected by right. outside culture. I think they've seen a lot of things once you're on like TikTok or whatever or YouTube. Yeah, I think 
I, I think would it still I think be it depends like on this? what you've seen already right. like for example the the scene towards the beginning where they you know seemingly beat the um, homeless person to death right yeah. we don't know if he dies or not but it would make sense that they do kill him um if you've seen american psycho there's a probably a more jarring killing of a homeless person scene in that one so i think it would just depend on what you've seen already but i, I will say this there are two uh uh, no, there's three rape scenes in this film that are still going back to 1971 among the most upsetting that I think I've ever seen. I agree. Particularly, I'm still upset. <laughs> yeah, particularly um, the first one when they enter the theater and a different gang is attacking a woman yeah. and she's fighting. And what makes it so horrible is the actress is really fighting and you can see a point where she's just like lost her strength and it's very it's very intense it's very intense and i think the the two scenes towards the first half of the movie it really like conditions you to not feel safe no no one is safe at all around alex you know or around these people it's so, almost, so yeah i mean i i can't yeah. imagine if you watch this and you were not affected by some of those things that would be pretty surprising you're I right i think like surprising. between those scenes in particular a new person watching the film anyone who has the context is singing in the rain and then they go and watch this yeah. film i think is in for yeah. you know this is what subversion is in cinema <laughs> like that, yeah, yeah you could and what it. a genius like you know we don't want to praise the content of the scene but stage what that it's doing scene, yeah yeah it, it's amazing it's yeah it's a fantastic choice it's bone chilling you know just how we you know that sequence in singing in the rain is very um exuberant it's very happy it's very like it's declarative of you know feeling good despite something bad happening and you take an element of that and put it into the scene that we're in and you know alex is bringing in this idea of like rejoicing in the middle of the storm into the worst moment of these people's lives and that's how he feels and it's it's horrible it's yeah it's and to bring it back to um um crime wave again like that sequence where the guy has a guy tied up on the bed and he's like riding him like a horse and he's singing back in the saddle again and it's just like kind of same thing yeah yeah it's it's terrifying really really effective that was the other section where i thought of both movies <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, yeah because there is an echo somewhere in there um yeah yeah and mcdowell just the way he puts that on it seems very brave and like an outside choice just to do that performance and maybe have like a something happen to your career based on that sure uh, yeah but kind of what happens is he kept in weird movies for a while like yeah uh, he had a very strange atypical career and i think like making choices like that is really outside what most actors do uh you can't think of many actors that, that might have done that or uh, 
No. Or performed it well and not been, you know, not been saddled or not been like derided for, you know, what they've done. <laughs> right. McDowell, right. Uh, I think, is still a very respected actor. And, uh, oh, yeah. And the scenes are poignant. There is something about like Anthony Burgess, like this writer, like dying from cancer and then kind of the world just fucking you like when you're you're trying to like write to save your life and what happens to this old writer and his wife right. and you know um you can see parallels anyway without right. again reading too much into intent it's kind of like uh you could see the proxies for who people are <laughs> oh yeah 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 absolutely um there's uh just so many scenes there's like it, i mean yeah it's actually even like a even like what would be like the consensual sex, like the orgy scene or whatever is very different. Like it's sped up and then played with this, you know, fast classical music. Yes. Um, I can't remember. I wrote down what song it was. Uh, I should know too, but. Um... But yeah, I, I, I can't remember right now. Oh, is it um, the thieving magpie? Yeah, I think that is probably yeah. right. I know that's one of the songs that's played throughout, but mm-hmm. it is, it's very strange. And, you know, you see them getting undressed and then dressed and then undressed and then dressed. And it's, it, it kind of has you scratching your head a bit and it's, uh, it's unsettling. Like it's very unsettling. <laughs> it's very cocaine-y. And, yeah. You know, it's yeah. very druggy. Um Yeah very druggy kind of like sex or, or approach to sex. That's really interesting. Um, and was very interesting to me as a 14 year old, but uh, right. for, you know, outside reasons and just what was happening, like in the record shop and how he comes dressed in like a, like he's almost on like that guy should be in Barry Lyndon or something. He's right. like wearing his, <laughs> you know, <laughs> his royalty attire. Right. Yeah, I think all the costuming is amazing. Even like their outfit that like the droogs wear, like they're they're white with the the black underwear looking things. Like, yeah, like the yeah, cod with piece. Like, yeah, it's like a jock strap cod piece. Their waists almost almost give them like a beer belly type of like a misshapen area down there. Like a cartoon, and then when they're wearing their. <laughs> <laughs> right, like when they were in the masks with the long beak, and in watching this um, yesterday, I I really wondered if Danny DeVito's penguin took any inspiration from the look because, like, in his Possibly. under, yeah, it's all white, you know, and he's got like the long nose, and it was like, oh, it's just, it's it's very unsettling, and I had never noticed Alex has eyeballs like covered in blood like uh sewn onto his wrists on his yeah. suit it's like all right <laughs> there's so many details and so many like punk artifacts that that i think yeah. it you know even made by a studio with a director like kubrick it's probably one of the most punk movies to ever come out of a studio system and it's so against the odds of that and uh uh, against the odds of not having a X rating in perpetuity, you know, um, yeah, it's incredible that I was able to rent it as a teenager at all. Uh, you know, yeah. It's a, uh, I mean, my blockbuster knew me, and I was in there renting horror every day. And eventually, you're just like, just let him do it. You know, uh, this right. this kid just loves movies. You know, just let him get all the violent video games and stuff. Uh, 
you know, 90s, 2000s were different. So, um, yeah, I mean, now there isn't even a place where kids can go and, yeah, right. You know, now it's like, you know, either they're age gated by their parents or they have access to everything in the world now. <laughs> right. So it's, it's different. And that's why I wonder if it would be a different kind of effect. But I don't, I think you're right that there's just enough there that anyone watching it for the first time today, and even yesterday, it, it only took a couple of years till I was like, okay, I'm back on board. I think it's one of the best movies again. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I give it kind of like a very high nine out of 10 because it's kind of a situation where like the back half is different. <laughs> it's there's so yeah, much I think, density there. I think that might be my biggest qualm with the film is a lot of the more stylized stuff a lot of the most iconic stuff is towards the beginning i mean there's still there's a shot when they have him in the room upstairs Mm. and they cut down to the room below and it starts out on the author's face and it slowly pulls back and you see the speakers on the pool table the different people are like stage around and there's one guy and he's throwing billiards. He's rolling billiards across the table and he's sinking them into the hole each time. The composition is amazing. (laughs) The timing of like this, just the speed of how the camera is moving with how the ball is rolling. And I was like on the edge of my seat, like he's going to miss this one. He's going to miss this next one. (laughs) So there is some stuff. There's the famous shot of the prisoners walking around in the very tight circle, you know, for their yard time. There, So there is some stuff in the second half, but for the most part, it's all the front half. And then the second yeah. part, it's a very different movie. Yeah. And I think it conveys so much of the style and language in the first half that, um, you know, the second half is more bureaucratic and systems based and about institutions and how they correct things. And so yeah. I think some of the language just naturally from the page no longer belongs in the same way that it's Alex narrating his own story. Right. Um, I I still just remember like so vividly, like the language, even of like the first pages, just how you would describe a scene or set a scene. Like he or just would like, right. Like it was a flip cold chill winter bastard through no dry or something, you know? And I'd be like, <laughs> I, usually a writer would say it's cold and dry, you know? Right. Like it's right. a flip chill winter bastard though dry. And I'm like, what what is that like combination of words? And right. uh I think it even starts with like a taunt. I think like the first words of the story are like, what's it gonna be then, eh? Like, you know, it's like a, okay, wow. I gotta find out. Like that's not a question, that's a taunt to the reader. Like, what's right. it gonna be then, eh? Are you gonna put up with this like mixed language of Russian English or are you going, you know, that is punk, I think. Yeah. Well, maybe Kubrick's version of that was blinding you with a blood red screen. And that almost made me think of like the aversion therapy, like the um, having Mm -hmm. like a a blinding flash. Again, we're ascribing things, but I think like a a blinding flash almost made me think of like, what if your eyes are peeled and you've been looking at something too long? And there's this thing that's going to change your views on violence if you watch it, you know, it's right. uh, There's something there. Um, And uh, unlike, I think, unlike, fight club and movies like that i don't think this has been ascribed like the wrong values i don't think it's been picked up by the wrong people uh Mm. i think you get the right message whoever you are i don't think you become a more violent person 
from having watched it. I think you might right. be more conscious at least. Right, like right. Really yeah, cool. if you watch this and you think you should get a bowler hat, <laughs> <laughs> I think that it would not be the film's fault that there might yeah. already be some problems. Uh, well, the style yeah. is cool. I, I mean, I can't deny that it, it makes like the perfect like Halloween costume or something. Like the oh, costume sure, is sure. interesting, but right. but to want to be these people, yeah. I think it eventually breaks down how bad you know how difficult that would be. Right. Um, but that also was, when I watched yeah. uh, Scarface for the first time, you know, I've grown up with people wearing Tony Montana shirts like my whole life. And so I'm watching Scarface and I, as I get into it, I'm like, wait, he's a bad guy. Right. Yeah. He, like he's a really bad guy. I was <laughs> like, why, why do all these people idolize this guy? I think yeah. they completely missed the point. My dad you know, had like a big like uh, Tony Montana like poster in my room before I had seen the movie, and I was like, "Why did he do that?" You know, like <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, "Why did he want me to think about this guy in this way?" In like an right. idolized, like put a poster in my there, kid's room. You know, there's this time period, somewhat seventies. I think that the seventies was dealing with a lot of corruption in institutions, like. Um, uh, 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 this movie, um, French Connection, uh, Chinatown, different, you know, big, larger than life things, Taxi Driver, you know, there's the angry dude who you just can't win. And so, mm -hmm. whatever. But in the 80s, somewhat early 90s, there is this idea that, like, the, idol, the, the ideal man is, like, angry, violent, and able to just take what he wants. And that is cool. Like, that's... Yeah, there's like this post Reagan thing where you could you can win also, right? Like, and and you win by the sweat of your brow and by not taking any crap and by, you know, being decisive. And so, but yeah, Tony Montana, you know, he's a really <laughs> bad guy. <laughs> We've never done that on the show either. I mean, Scarface seems like an eventual must do episode of some kind, or maybe De Palma seems like. You know, must do. Oh man, but... yeah, De Palma. I I really dove into him last year, uh, and I was I was pretty pleasantly surprised. Carrie is like one of my favorite horror movies. Oh, ever. me too. I might have to get it's back just... in touch with you when I want to do Carrie because I sure. I some... Let me know. Some of my friends are divisive on Carrie, and I can't allow that on my show. Uh... I I think it's all. I, I it's close to perfect. There, I agree. There's yeah. one scene that I think of towards the end when they're going to get the pig blood where I'm like, if you cut that out, this movie is amazing. Perfect. I no notes. Close, everything. Yeah. Works. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, Sissy Spacek, it's like, I don't know if you've seen um, three women, Robert mm -hmm. Altman's three women. Oh yeah. Oh, God. And then Badlands, you know, Carrie, you, when you look at the things that she did in succession, it's like, you know, is this the greatest actress of all time? <laughs> <laughs> I think like during that stretch, you could say it's like one of the hottest stretches of all time of like an actress. Yeah, like, it's performing. It's, un like, it's unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. And then in the middle of that, she did the set decoration for um the Phantom of the um, Phantom of Paradise. The, Phantom of the Paradise, yeah. Yeah. So it's like what like Sissy Spacek? Like <laughs> it's incredible set deck in that movie too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's she's awesome. 
And then, yes. you know, she shows up years later in uh, Hot Rod. <laughs> and you're like, yes, you make you make all the right choices, Sissy Spacek. Yeah, this is a pro Sissy Spacek program. Uh, I feel pretty good about this combination of films. I feel like we've uh, covered them decently enough and yeah. it's been a fun talk. Um, do you want to plug uh, uh, your your film program? I like to call things programs. I'm, I'm getting sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. We we have a show, but like we're more interested in like connecting with people. Mm-hmm. Like we don't have like the whole thing that you've got going on this like large umbrella thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. So I started a show with my friend Michelle, uh, because she does not watch movies. Okay, and that's a good reason. <laughs> my, my my philosophy with film discussion is that it should never be exclusive. It mm-hmm. should be inviting and it should be open. And unfortunately, so much of film discussion is negative. There are it so is, many yeah. people who are just angry and like literally based in anger. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I won't name specific names, but unfortunately, no, go you ahead. don't have to look very far. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't have to look very far for someone to say, well, you're an idiot if you like this movie. Or, or you know, like a lot of the commentary about film is like, God, that director's fucking dumb. They made that mistake. And I'm like, I don't know if it was a mistake. They just made the movie they right. wanted. You know? Right. It, so they, you know, they the might not respond show... to your criticism and then go change the film. It might be okay. Right. Anyway, right. A lot of gatekeeping. So so the name of our show is Movie Friends, because mm-hmm. um in your life you have like your friend who's a plumber, and then you have your friend who's a uh dishwasher electrician, and you call on them when you need those things. And for a lot of movie people, you are people's movie friend, where maybe you don't really talk to these people, but when they see a movie, they want to talk to you about it. And so that's kind of what we want to be. And so you have the yin and the yang of me, who's seen a ton of stuff. And then you have Michelle, who hasn't seen a lot. And so I basically, each month we pick a different theme. I show her four movies that fit in that theme. And so you get my reaction, which is, I really love this movie. Here's all the background on it. And then you get a person seeing it for the first time. So, you you know, you watched, you, you know, you and I watched A Clockwork Orange years and years and years ago. We watched The Shining, you know, all this stuff that it's hard to think, wow, if I saw this today, like you yeah. already asked, what would I think? Oh, yeah. And sometimes Michelle watches something for the first time <laughs> and it does not go so well. But we don't, um, we don't fight about it. You know, I'm not like, how mm. can you not like this movie, you know, oh, it's interesting, it's right? Yeah. It's yeah. Interesting it's all subjective. I think it's good to keep yourself connected also to opinions that aren't like so inside yes. baseball and movies. Like sometimes I get really immersed in like our community and our people who have also seen, I've seen 6,000 films. You know, it's like, I, yes. I don't know what the average person sees anymore. I, I have no connection. I, so I need people like Michelle and the average too. person, they're going to go see four movies in a theater a year yeah exactly (laughs) they they don't know about you know the lost daughter and they don't know about the quiet girl and they don't Mm -hmm. know about memoria they these are these things are not like on their radar at all and as much as we love film and so it's it's nothing to us to watch one movie a day (laughs) no i'll go to four a day if i'm at a festival it's absolutely absolutely last year i had to average like three a day oh yeah 
there there were some days where I did seven in one day. Of it's course. nuts. It's insanity. <laughs> and so to you and me, I can say that. It's like, yeah, that's kind of weird, but you understand it. If you say that to a normal person on the street, they would think that you were insane. They would think that's impossible. So it, it is good. And yeah, it just, it, it makes me sad that, there are people out there who are like getting into film, but they mm-hmm. don't like the quote unquote right film. Or you say, well, my favorite movie is, you know, Birds of Prey from DC. Yeah, and right. People will make fun of you and tell you what an idiot you are. And, and all that's this a stuff. fun and, movie. It's valid to like fun movies. Sure. Any, <laughs> yeah, we should be, we should be fostering and encouraging people to be interested in movies. It doesn't matter what movie it is. So anyway, <laughs> That's an extremely long explanation, but that's the whole philosophy behind well, it is can we be friends if we don't yeah. like the same movies? I we think can. it's a good call to action for everyone to just be a little bit more inclusive this week and think of your yeah. friends. So, yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Seth. And uh, we'll have to get you back on. This was a lot of fun. So. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Great, great movies. And uh, I had a lot of fun. Thank, thank you. conversations and I post them online for entertainment it's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world things have changed everybody's entertaining who's being entertained